you to take your Bibles. Turn with me for, your, for our scripture reading, uh, for our sermon text this morning. We are concluding our series this morning in Luke chapter 6. We'll be looking today at Luke 6, 46 to 49. Gospel according to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. As we bring our sermon on, our series on Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount that I've been calling the Sermon Off the Mount, we conclude now with verses 46 to 49. I ask you to please stand as we read together Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people, and these are the words of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It's God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word today. Oh God, we need you to speak to us, for you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else could we go to hear the words of God? You have heard our voices lifted to you in song, in prayer. And now, God, we need you to speak to us. Speak one word from heaven, from your scriptures, and we will be changed. Write your word upon our hearts today and make us to be renewed in the image of Christ just a little bit more. And we'll give you the glory as you do what only you can do for us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we come this morning to the final sermon in this series that we've been doing in the season of Lent, going through Luke chapter 6. Last week, we looked at verses 43 through 45, and we talked about how a, Jesus teaches us that a tree is known by its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, Jesus says. Likewise, a bad tree is not going to give you good fruit. And a thorn bush isn't going to give you grapes. Jesus is telling us that we need to examine our fruit so that we can see if we are spiritually healthy, good or bad. To see what kind of tree we are. Are we the planting of the Lord that bears His fruit, the fruit of the kingdom? Or are we shriveled up thorns and thistles? still under the curse, fallen in Adam, or are we made new in Christ? 
ultimately at the bottom of having a new nature and bearing good fruit is our hearts. It's the root of the tree. When God wants you to be holy, he changes your heart and gives you a holy heart. When God wants you to love him, he gives you a new heart that has his love poured out inside of it. God has to turn us into the kind of tree we need to be to cultivate the kind of person we ought to be from the root, from the very heart, all the way out to the fruit we bear in our lives. Jesus tells us that we can know a tree by its fruit and we can actually follow the fruit all the way down to the root so that we can examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, to test ourselves. Where is our heart? Where is our treasure? That's last week, and that brings us now seamlessly into our passage for this week. This week, Jesus presses his hearers to make a decision to follow him truly or not at all. At the end of a good sermon, Jesus knows it's time to bring a crisis moment to the hearers. It's time to force them to decide. You've listened to me preach ever since chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 20. I've been talking this whole time. Luke just gives us a little snippet, a little summary. You know Jesus preached longer than it, it would take you to read from verses 20 to 49. Even if you're a slow reader, Jesus, I'm sure, preached a little longer than that. Luke's given us the snapshot of what he said. Jesus comes to the end of his sermon and he said, it's time to make a choice. You've been listening to this. Now you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Are you going to follow me truly or not at all? As we come to the end of the sermon off the mount, it's time to decide, is Jesus really my Lord? Jesus concludes with a challenge. He concludes with a promise. And he concludes with a warning, all three. A challenge, a promise, and a warning. The challenge of what Jesus' lordship entails for you. A promise to the one who truly follows him as Lord. And finally, a warning to the one who claims to follow, but doesn't follow through. So let's begin. Notice the connection between the previous passage that we looked at last week and verse 46. Look at verse 45. Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in your heart will come out of your mouth. What you treasure will show itself in your life. Jesus is telling us that what's really on the inside eventually will come out and be known on the outside. A tree will be known by its fruit. And here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Remember, this is not a sermon to believers and unbelievers. This is a sermon to disciples, as it says in verse 20, where the sermon began. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, These are people who claim to follow him. Those who have made a profession. You are Lord. We are your disciples. We follow you. You teach us. You're the king. We're in your kingdom. We're going where you go. Where you go. You're in charge. You tell us to jump and we'll say how high. 
He's speaking to his disciples and he's calling them out for saying one thing with their mouths but living in a way that contradicts what they say. Out of the overflow of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, I hear you calling me Lord, but I'm not seeing the fruit. The fruit I would expect to see if I really was Lord. Jesus is confronting two contradictions in our final passage today. Two contradictions. The first contradiction is no Lord. Just think about that for a second. I remember when I was in youth group, uh, there are very few sermons from youth group that I, that I really remember. Right? And most sermons, you know, mine or anybody else's, you're not just going to like, oh yeah, I remember everything he ever said. It doesn't work like that. But every now and then a good one will stick with you. Or, a, or a, good, a good line will stick with you. And I remember it was a youth Sunday and the youth pastor got to preach the sermon. It was, a, it was a, an old country Baptist church. Not the church I grew up in, but a church that I had some friends at. And I was there that morning because it was youth Sunday. And the youth pastor gets up and he said, and he said this line. He said, no, Lord, is a contradiction. It's literally gibberish. It does not mean anything. It's like saying square circle. It's like saying cross-eyed cyclops. Okay? You, you, you got one eye, you can't be cross-eyed. Think about it. And this is just as meaning, meaningless. It's just as much gibberish. No, Lord. No, Lord. If he's Lord, you don't know what the word no means unless he's telling it to you. No, Lord, <laughs> means he's not Lord. It's a contradiction to say, that it, to say no, Lord. No, Lord, is rebellion. That's not anything other than rebellion. The Lord says, do this, and you say, no. That's not a lordship relationship you have to Jesus at that point. That's just rebellion. He's the king, he says this, and you're not bowing the knee. You're not, you're not concerned that he has the crown and you have nothing. You just say, no. That's the first contradiction. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? What's the point of calling me Lord if you're not going to do anything about it? If you're not going to obey you don't really have a Lord except yourself. You are your own Lord. That's rebellion. That's the first contradiction in this verse. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? But the second contradiction is this. Yes, Lord, with no follow-through, is also a contradiction. It's just a different kind of contradiction. It's not outright rebellion because you're saying, Oh, yes, Lord, I hear what you're saying. I'll go do that. And then he walks away, and it's time to do it, and you say, nah. <laughs> ah, I'll, I'll do it later, or I don't, it's not that important, or we'll rationalize it and justify it in a million different ways for why it doesn't apply to us today this time. Or why it's okay that I neglected to do what the Lord said this time. Yes, Lord, with no follow-through is just as bad as no, Lord, because it comes to the same place. The first is rebellion. No, Lord, that's rebellion. Yes, Lord, fingers crossed. 
That's hypocrisy. And that's really what Jesus is, is, is getting at. That's the main problem he sees in, his, in some of his disciples. He says this back in verse 42. He says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. He's honing in on hypocrisy. Those who say, Lord but don't actually obey. Those who claim Jesus is Lord, but go live like He's not. Those who come down to the altar, if we did that, if we did altar calls here, those who come down to the altar and pray a prayer and make a confession and it feels sincere and it, there's a lot of emotion in the moment and then they go home with this psychological excuse to be unchanged. Well, I went forward. I had this experience. That experience needs to lead to fruit. Having an experience doesn't guarantee the good fruit. If you call him Lord, there's got to be follow through, Jesus says. Why do you even bother calling me Lord, Lord? You say it twice, you're emphatic. No, he is my Lord, he really is. Where's the fruit? The one who truly follows Jesus as Lord must do so in his heart, with his mouth, and in his deeds. Look at verse 47. Jesus says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Three things there. Everyone who comes to me, everyone who hears or listens to me, and everyone who does what they hear me saying. That's the kind of true disciple Jesus is looking for. He comes to Jesus, he listens to Jesus, he does what Jesus says. Everything else and anything less is either rebellion or it's hypocrisy. Lord means yes. That takes us to the next point. Next, Jesus holds out a promise to the true disciple to the one who truly owns Jesus as Lord, to the one who really comes, listens, and does. He makes a promise in the form of an illustration. Look at verse 48. He just said in verse 47, whoever he comes and hears and does what I say, I'll show you what he's like. Verse 48, he's like a man building a house who dug deep, and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke, broke against it. And that house broke against that house and could not shake it. Because it had been well founded. So the true disciple is like a person who builds a house on a deep, rocky foundation. A house is where you live. Building a house means deciding what you want to base your life on. What are you going to build your life on? Are you going to build your life on something solid, like the guy in verse 48, or on something flimsy, like the guy in verse 49? But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. So you're going to be like the guy who built his life on something solid or like the guy who built his life on something flimsy. Jesus says you wouldn't, 
You wouldn't want to lay your, the foundation of your house in topsoil, would you? No, you would want the foundation to be anchored to something deep and firm, a solid rock, not loose gravel. Listen to me, Jesus says. I'm offering you solid rock. Build on this rock, and when the flood comes, your house, your life will stand. When you build your life on Jesus, Christian, you are building on something trusty, something dependable, something unshakable. Again, what does it mean to build your life on Jesus? It means coming to Him, listening to Him, and doing what He says. And it's not really more complicated than that. Come to Jesus as that solid rock, that firm foundation. Listen to what He tells you to do, and then go do it. Build your life on His teaching, His wisdom, His instruction, His expectations, His standards, His way. For He is the way, and the truth, and the life. Build on something solid, something strong, something deep, not shallow. Something that will hold you firm and secure. That won't go shaking and wobbling beneath your feet. And all the rest of the world seems to give way. What is this in specifics? You want specifics? Well, it's just everything that he's just been preaching. This is the end of the sermon. He's calling for a decision to do the things he just got through preaching. As we've looked at in this series. What does it mean to listen and do what Jesus says? It means to be about the kingdom the way he teaches us to in this very sermon. It means cultivate the Beatitudes and cultivate detachment from the things of this world that distract from your allegiance to Jesus and love for Jesus, verses 20 to 26. It means love your enemies, not just your neighbors and friends. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Practice what I've been calling here the divine love ethic of generous, outrageous mercy to everyone, including your enemies, just as your heavenly Father does for His enemies. Verses 27 to 36. It means not judging and condemning. It means forgiving and showing compassion. It means being humble and looking for the log in your own eye before you dare try to find the speck in anybody else's eye. Verses 37 to 42. It means cultivate that good tree with the new nature, with that new heart, the new root of regeneration. This is what it means to come to Jesus, to listen to what He has to say, and to go out and do it and build your life on it. Building your house on the rock means living and loving like Jesus. It means building your house according to the kingdom blueprint. You know, every house has to be built to code, right? Well, the houses in the kingdom of God must be built according to the code that Jesus lays out for us in the sermon, in this sermon and in his other teachings. He gives you the blueprint. He gives you how it has to be built to code. Build your life to code. 
according to the kingdom of God as Jesus teaches us. So we've seen the promise held out to that true disciple who knows that Lord means yes. He builds on the rock. He stands secure. Now we come to the final point, the warning to the one who claims him as Lord and says yes, but then goes out and lives like it's no. We come to the final point. The other builder is the one who claims to follow Jesus, but doesn't really put his teachings into practice. Notice verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Notice that verse very carefully. The first builder, Jesus says in verse 47, comes to me, hears or listens to me, and then does what I say. Here in verse 49, Jesus repeats two of those, but not all three. Do you notice that? The first builder comes, hears, and does. This one in verse 49, he hears, but he does not do. And there's no mention of actually coming to Jesus. What's the point? If you call Jesus Lord and claim to listen to his teaching, but do not truly obey him, nor do what he says, you have not truly come to Jesus in the first place. All who come to him will build on the rock. They will be good trees. They will bear good fruit. They will have hearts that treasure him. Jesus says in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's a big if. If you abide, if you stay, if you remain in my word, if you hold fast in my word, you are truly my disciples. Or John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John fourteen twenty one. whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is, or she it is, who loves me. Do you see the connection between having Jesus as Lord and having a heart that loves Jesus and then a life that actually keeps the commandments and abides in his word? The two have to go together. And if we're all talk and no walk, we don't really know him. We don't really love him. We're still that thorn bush trying to squeeze grapes out. We're still that bramble bush trying to bear figs and apples. And, and it's not going to work. It doesn't work like that. We have to be new creatures. We have to have new hearts that love Jesus. But when we have those new hearts, we will walk in his ways. And it won't be a burden, and it won't be drudgery, and it won't be like a killjoy, and it won't just be like this thing i got to do because I'm a Christian and ugh. Right? The new heart loves this stuff. The new heart's like, another commandment? Yes! Ooh, a new way to obey Jesus? Yes! Oh, all I, I got to do is that, and, he, and he'll be pleased? 
yes! <laughs> the new heart can't wait. The new heart wants to run in the ways of the Lord. It, it has, whenever you get saved, you've got a new relationship with Jesus. He is your Lord, friend, advocate, brother, savior, Lord, king. You have a new relationship with Jesus. You also have a new relationship with sin. You don't love it anymore. Right? You and sin have a pretty severe breakup, and now you're going with Jesus. And you're leaving sin behind. And you don't want to answer sin's phone calls, or respond to sin's text messages, or answer his emails. Sin, we're done. It's over. I don't want to flirt. I don't want to talk. I'm not interested anymore. I've met someone else. <laughs> right? Paul actually uses a similar analogy in Romans chapter 7. You have been divorced from the old sin, and now you're going with the Lord. Romans 7. You have a new relationship with Jesus. You got a new relationship with sin. You also have a new relationship with the law. With God's law. With his will for you. It's not this big sentence of condemnation on you anymore. That just crushes you and grinds you to powder and condemns you and damns you to hell. Because that's all it did before. It just told you how sinful you were before you came to Jesus. All it did was grind you to powder, show you the door, point you away from yourself and tell you that you're condemned. Because you can't keep that law, you can't measure up to it. It just gives you the knowledge of sin. It just pricks the conscience and tells you that you're unworthy and you can't do it. Because that's the truth. But then, it doesn't leave you there. It actually points you to a Savior who can rescue you from the condemnation of the law. And once Jesus changes your heart, now he turns you back around to look at that law and not see it as your condemning judge, but to see it as this light unto your feet and a lamp for your path. Now the law is this beautiful light that shows you the path of what true godliness looks like. The path of holiness, the path of obedience. Now the law is this sweet thing to you. You can't wait to obey Jesus. The law actually is life-giving. Not in the sense that it saves you, but in the sense that it fills you with this eagerness and anticipation. You mean God told me how to obey? I don't have to figure it out on my own? I don't have to make it up? He already wrote down what the good works are? <laughs> I just got to go do them? Just read the recipe and go do it? Yes. Yes. The blueprint is there. Jesus is telling us how to walk and how to live. And if we're new, if we're new creatures and we love Christ, we have the new nature, we're going to bear the good fruit. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The new heart will abide because the new heart loves the Lord and knows that Lord means yes. So, you have two disciples in this illustration. You got two disciples who claim to follow Jesus, who both call him Lord. You have two builders in the kingdom. You have two houses. One is built on a solid foundation. The other next door is built on the topsoil with no foundation at all. But you can't quite tell that. If you just look at them, it looks like two normal houses. It looks like two lives that seem to be built on Jesus. They both appear to be holding up just fine for now. But when the wind and the rain 
and the storms and the floodwaters break loose against those two houses, one is unshaken while the other collapses instantly in complete and utter ruin. And see, Jesus says this, And when a flood arose, verse 48, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built or well founded. When the stream broke against the other house, verse 49, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. On the bright and sunny days, both houses look like they are well built. But the flood always reveals which one is built on the rock and which one is built in the sand. The life built on Jesus is a life that will hold up when the flood comes. It's the person who is able to stand when everything else is shaking and giving way. When the trials and tribulations, the sins and the sufferings, the losses and the crosses of life come your way, Christian, you will be able to endure and to stand unshakable. Jesus holds you secure when your life is built on Him, and you cannot fall away or collapse. It says in Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Build your life on this foundation because it's the capstone of a kingdom that's eternal and that cannot be shaken. And if your feet are firmly planted on that rock, you can't be shaken either. Oh, your enemy will try. This life broken in sin will beat you to death. The floods do come. Jesus doesn't say, build on the rock and there are no flood zones anymore. No more floods. That's not how it works. Rain and wind and storm and flood will burst against all of us at some point. Many of you have already gone through deep water in your life. Have already felt like you were being overwhelmed by the flood. But you're still here. You're still standing. You're still rooted in the Lord. You're still planted on the rock. You haven't toppled over. Oh, it felt like it. It looked like it was about to topple over. But the Lord has a way of keeping you steady and holding you firm. You are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken because it's founded on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship. This is ultimately about worship. Planted on the rock, you see your glorious Lord holding you firm. You are leaning on a tower that cannot topple. You are firm and secure in Him. And this moves us to love and worship the Lord. So if you want to endure, Christian, build your life on Jesus. Come to Jesus. Listen to His words. Follow Him as your Lord. Trust in Him alone as your solid rock. Make Jesus your firm foundation. Trust and obey, for there is no other way.
you have the offer of an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken today. Stake your life on it. Stake your life on, his, on this kingdom and on this Lord. Believe Jesus when he says, I'm offering you solid rock today. If you will come to me. It's the only thing that can keep you standing when the storms and floods of life come rushing upon you. Jesus is the only hope you have to endure to the end. Come to Jesus today and find in him a hope that will not fail you. A beatitude that will satisfy you. A love that will transform you. And a firm foundation that will make you unshakable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken because you have made us heirs, heirs, joint heirs with Christ who stand to inherit the glory and the kingdom that is to come. Lord, I pray that for any of us in this room who, who feel like we've been saying yes, Lord, but not really meaning it for a long time, I pray you would convict our hearts. I pray you would make us sensitive to that hypocrisy that has been looming for far too long and banish our own rationalizations and justifications. May we not judge ourselves by our original or initial good intentions, but judge ourselves truly. Make us sensitive to our sin today and may we repent from the bottom of the heart. Lord, those of us who need a new heart, I pray you would do a miracle and take out a heart of stone where nothing can take root and give us a heart of flesh beating and burning a flame with faith that your word would truly take root in good soil and bear a, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. I pray that you would do a work in our lives so that we would begin to build on Jesus more faithfully, that we would stake our lives on him, that we would be able to stand and endure those of us who are in the midst of the floodwaters even now, that you would help us to stand, that you would help us to feel the firm rock beneath our feet. And though our legs are wobbly, you will not fail us. You will not let us go. We are secure in you. Help us to stand when everything else seems to give way. Help us to hope in Christ and build our life on him and put all of our confidence and our trust in him alone to keep us standing in the end. Lord, make us these kinds of people who know that Lord means yes, who build on the rock, and who stand and weather the storms unshakable. And as you do this for us, we will give you all the praise and all the glory and all the worship. In Jesus' name, amen.